Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. I'm really pleased to have her on, Donna Rice Hughes. Uh, my wife and I have known her for quite some time. Met her, I suppose, originally through the Council on National Policy. I think it was. Uh, she has quite an outstanding ministry. Uh, we are all following very closely the movie Sound of Freedom which has now reached 150 million in ticket sales. I remember when it crossed 10 million and everybody was so excited that it hit 10 million. Couldn't already believe it. Now we're talking 150 million and continuing. And I'm hearing reports of packed out theaters and it now goes international. Now our real concern is that it not just sell a bunch of seats in theaters, but it actually translated into a national movement that actually gets children, first of all, prevented from being sex trafficked, but secondly, to get them set free. Uh, President Trump showed had a private showing of Sound of Freedom at his summer home in New Jersey just a couple of days before we got there, and, uh, and he was profoundly impacted. He turned around and wrote out an enormous check. I won't say the amount. The amount was so staggering. I don't know if it's public knowledge, but it was any, a staggering amount of money. Uh, I was blown away uh, by the amount to try to fight uh, trafficking and particularly children trafficking. So that being the case, I want us to go to someone who can give us some practical advice because we need to know what to do. It's one thing to go to a movie. It's one thing to talk about it. But what what can how can we activate to help prevent it? And then the other end of that is how can we be more discerning and try to recognize it in our own communities? Uh, Donna Rice Hughes, thank you for being on. I oftentimes ask people to take just the first two minutes and tell us a little bit about their story. Uh, Donna, you and I have talked a little bit about this. If you if you want to tell your story, we'd sure be glad to hear it for a couple minutes and then jump into the topic. We're so honored to have you with us. Thank you, Jim. It really is an honor to be here. And, um, you know, I have to tell you, I am so excited about this film because it's finally stirred up not only a national conversation, but an international conversation that we have needed to have for a very, very long time. Not only that, it's putting a face to the problem. And I don't know anyone who has seen this film that didn't absolutely fall in love with these children and ask themselves, how can this possibly happen in this time? And, and, and Jim, this is why it's so important that we're here together because we're here as the body of Christ. And this is where the answer is. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can see here by this story that this is a spiritual battle. And literally, the, the human trafficking industry is a multi-billion dollar criminal enterprise. And and so, but it, this is a winnable war. And you asked me a little bit about my story. It's a really long story, but just to give you a, a, in, a in a nutshell, are you all still there? Cause you just disappeared off my screen. Yes, we are. We're here. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, so in a nutshell, I, I was sexually exploited as a child. And then as a 22 year old young adult, I lost my virginity against my will and a date rape. And this really sent me into a downward spiral of what I call my prodigal 20s. And it, and it took me really just my life falling apart and in a very public way 
internationally with, 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 a, with a scandal that went around the world. And it was during that time in 1987 that, and I have been, I was a Christian growing up. I love the Lord. I went prodigal. And you know, sometimes it just takes a really hard knock. And I got that hard knock when I was 29. And I said, God, if there's any way you can use all this pain in my life and all this pain that was around the scandal with me and my family, I'm coming back to you. I have no idea what you're going to do with it. This was all pre-internet, but little did I know that God has incredibly awesome sense of humor and purpose, and he wasted nothing at all. He called me into the beginning of a movement at the beginning of the internet age. And we actually, I started with an organization in 1994 at the beginning of the internet when we saw the beginnings of sexual predators. Traffickers are a sexual predator. Child pornographers and pornographers using the pre-internet. And we actually started the internet safety movement and God has been using that pain and my own experience ever since to fight to prevent the online exploitation of children. That's a tremendous story of redemption. What, what the enemy meant for evil, God completely turned that around. It's given you a national, well, frankly, an international platform that you would never have had. So we praise God for that. Uh, Donna, bring us up to speed. When we think of human trafficking, we think, oh my, that's a problem down in South America. Mm -hmm. That's a problem maybe over in Europe. That's a problem. In, and we named some other country, Mexico, yes. whatever. Uh, break, give us a reality check. Just tell us the story. What do we need to know and what can we do? Yes. Um, let, let me just say that this is a problem right in our own backyard in the United States of America. In 2022, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children received 19,000 reports of child sex trafficking in every single state and D.C. and Puerto Rico. All right. The, these are children and teens in our own communities, in our own schools. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I want everyone to realize that no child is immune. And, and but as we start this conversation, Jim, um, I want to introduce my colleague, who is also a friend. He's a member of the Enough is Enough team, and he is an expert in human trafficking. His name is Bill Wolf. He actually worked in the Trump White House. He's a former detective, and he served as the Human Trafficking Programs Director at DOJ and Special Advisor, like I just said, to the White House. And, and if I could, Bill, if you could come on and, and join this conversation, and, and just in a nutshell, would, would you let everyone know what is the definition of human trafficking, and how big is it abroad and here in the United States? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a real pleasure to be with you all tonight. Um, just to to join the 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 church in in praying for this issue. It's it's incredibly important. Uh, I've I've been in the fight against human trafficking for far too long now, almost two decades. Uh, and uh, and there's a lot of work left to be done. Um, you know, Jim, it's interesting. You mentioned that the movie has reached 150 million dollars in revenue because that number is significant in the human trafficking space because we know that worldwide, 
human trafficking generates about $150 billion worth of illicit revenue every year. So I think that, you know, it, it's important for us to notate that milestone on our way to combating uh, this problem. In the United States alone, it's a $9.8 billion industry. So we're fighting against, uh, you know, evil that is, that is extremely well-funded. But at its core, what is human trafficking? Uh, it, it's important for us to understand that human trafficking is really about compelling a person, a human being, a child of God, to engage in either forced unfair labor, which we call labor trafficking here in the United States, or in commercial sex, which we call sex trafficking. And I think it's important to note that within the sex trafficking realm, so often we, we think of it simply as prostitution. Uh, but we know that more than 85% of individuals involved in the commercial sex industry in the United States are actually victims of human trafficking. They're being forced, defrauded, or most commonly coerced and manipulated into this lifestyle by, quite honestly, monsters, these, these traffickers that are out there. Uh, and, and it's important to note that the U.S. Department of Justice estimates that about 50% of all of those victims are actually kids. There are kids in our own neighborhoods and in our own backyards. Yeah, that's right. And isn't it true, Bill, that the average age of um, a child entering into the trafficking <laughs> uh, horror is around 12 years old? The other thing is that the internet has really exacerbated all of this, hasn't it? But what, what happened when the internet came into being, a lot of these underground kinds of black market crimes had a new place to, to um, in, in this case, groom children to market illegal content like child pornography, to market and sell children and women and men all over the internet. And there's a whole supply and demand uh, economics model at work here that Jim, I hope we're going to have a, a, a chance to talk about, but also with, with the internet, there's a, there's a, a perfect storm because where kids are playing, that's where predators prey. And we are seeing, let's see if I get this number right. Um, since 2000, 2000 traffickers have recruited 55% of their victims online. Hmm. That's a big number. So what, what are we to do and how do we recognize? You see signs at airports constantly. If you see something unusual, report it, human trafficking. Uh, coach us and teach us, I mean, the, the two of you, how do we, how, how can we watch more with more discernment and, and see what is happening around us? And then how does it, walk me through practically, when you say it's happening in our own backyards, walk mm -hmm. me through the practicalities of how that happens. Bill, do you want to take the, yeah. the offline the offline trafficking and I'll focus on the online? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, the so first of all, I think it's important to know we talk about our children that are being trafficked. These are not necessarily kids that are being uh, abducted off the street corner and, and going missing. Uh, there was a study a couple of years ago out of the state of Florida that estimated that about 90% of children that are being trafficked are living in their own homes, sleeping in their own beds, going to school every day. So what does that mean for us on the identification front? 
it means that we need to be paying attention to what's going on. And I think before we get into really the, you know, how do you identify it in, in, you know, the physical world, it's important to understand how these traffickers are operating, because if they're not kidnapping our kids, if they're not abducting children, how is it that they are, they're luring them into this, and they're really looking for vulnerabilities that they can exploit, and they build trusting relationships with them. They may be a boyfriend or a girlfriend, they may be a family member, they may be uh, another trusted individual in their lives. But what's important to understand is that traffickers are very methodical. They will take the time to invest in grooming and manipulating these young people into a life of exploitation and then tricking them into it. And what I've heard from so many of the survivors that I've had the privilege to walk alongside and both my career as a, a detective and then later on in, in doing some additional work within the space is that so many of them did not know what was happening to them. And they didn't have the words to express the, the exploitation. And then when they did realize that what was happening to them was wrong, they didn't know who they could go to that would understand what they were talking about. And I think that's important to, under, to, to discuss here because oftentimes when we talk about things like commercial sex, particularly when we're talking about it from the, the perspective of the church, you know, we tend to look at it as something that is bad, that is dirty, right? But I think it's important to remember how our Lord responded to uh, those that were in the commercial sex trade, as we so call it now, right? And how welcoming and bringing Mary Magdalene into, into the fold. And I think that's important for us when we talk about what is it that we can do? The first thing is we've got to be having this conversation. We've got to be having the conversation in the church. We've got to be having the conversation in the community. We've definitely got to be having the conversation within our families, educating youth about the threat that exists. Uh, I'm, I'm a father of six. Uh, I've had to have that, that conversation with, with my children many times. It's uncomfortable, but it's a necessary conversation because the reality is, is that they will be, uh, they will be confronted with these challenges in their life. It's becoming more and more prevalent. In fact, Donna um, uh, noted the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children earlier on. They estimate that one in five children will be approached by a trafficker at some point during their adolescent years. So as a father of six, that technically means at least one of my kids will be approached by a trafficker. So um, Jim, back to the internet, when you say, what, what can you do? What, what's happening here? Let me just give you another data point here. We all know the kids have access to the internet all the time, right? Predators and traffickers can hide behind anonymity. And so they are using this, the internet to gain access to kids. 40% of children in grades four through eight are regularly talking to strangers online. And if you tell them, you know, if you don't know somebody offline, then don't talk to them online. Well, in, in the kids' digital world, if they have one or two conversations with someone or play a game with someone, they don't consider that, that person a stranger anymore. And the predators will trick them and lure them in to these um, sexual conversations and then oftentimes get 
nudes of them and then use those to exploit that child, to keep them silent, to keep them shamed, to blame them and to threaten them and to even sextort them. But there's this whole thing of what we call a cycle of abuse. There's a lot of things happening online and each one is fueling the other. First of all, and I believe one of the most significant is that there is a tremendous amount, a multi-billion dollar industry of hardcore pornography. This is not your father's pornography of 30 years ago, all right? 90% of it depicts violence against women or, or a female, all right? Choking, strangulation, teen rape is one of the top themes. Now, why is this important? Well, think about it. This type of content is driving the demand for someone to want to purchase someone to do these acts with, right? So it's fueling this demand. The other thing it's doing is sexualizing children. Another uh, a point uh, 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 that, that I want to bring up, 58% of kids that consume this type of pornography are under the age of 14. So they are being sexualized. They are being drawn into this world themselves. Many of them are acting out what they see. They are voluntarily sexting and sending nudes of themselves. Doesn't take a lot for a sexual predator or a trafficker to necessarily get that kind of conversation going and to get the, the, those types of images from them. The other thing is the world of child pornography. This is, has exploded, especially since COVID. The numbers are astronomical, the highest ever that they've seen in, in the history of really the world. And this kind of content, of, we're seeing kids as young as infants and toddlers being raped and exploited. Now, what is that doing? That's also driving the demand for pedophiles and predators to then again act out these crimes against children. And when they do that, they photograph it, they videotape it, and it just kind of fuels this whole cycle of abuse. So when we come back to how do we prevent this in, in the government, we have got to see each one of these laws being aggressively enforced, not just the trafficking laws. You heard the numbers that Bill threw out there, $150 million for this film. Well, it's a $150 billion industry. The hardcore pornography industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. The child porn, which we call child sex abuse material industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. And we're throwing a few hundred million dollars at this. I mean, we, so this is where the church is so key because we know we can win these kinds of wars when the church rises up, recognizes that this is happening in our own backyard, that we're fighting a spiritual war and it's in a spiritual war we can win. And I always think back on William Wilberforce, who would have thought when the slave trade was running, everybody was involved in it back then, that, that they would have been able to abolish slavery at that point, but they did. And they did it because of the approaches that we are now employing now. And I think this movie is really getting people on all levels and all the different stakeholders more and more engaged to say, you know what, enough is enough. We just have to do something. But um, I, I know you wanna to talk Jim about what can we do in our own home? What well, do parents- Help us just a little before we go to that. We need to get to that right away, but help us understand. <clears throat> so let's suppose a child's not being properly uh, parented in a home and that child is online interacting with strangers. 
how does it go from just interacting with strangers to them being seduced and drawn in uh, deeper and further in much more harmful ways? <clears throat> not that the initial part there is not harmful, but how, how does it go to the next step? And, and then what? also, when when uh, you or Bill, whichever one it was, spoke about so many who are trafficked today are are, are sleeping in their own beds at night and yet being trafficked mm -hmm. today, give people a better understanding of what does that look like? And then tack on to that part, sorry to load you with three questions at once, but it's the whole issue of how do we, if we're in a grocery store, we stop the cleaners, we go to the gas station, we're at the airport, wherever, we're walking on the streets, do we become more discerning? So I've asked a package of questions there. Well, I'll take one of the first parts of your question, and that is from, from speaking to a child online and engaging them in sexual conversations and then getting them involved to the point where they will start engaging in virtual sex or share a nude of themselves or themselves in a sexual position. Predators are also even getting young people to get other kids involved, right? So they are actually pimping out. You, you know, you, you see all this crazy stuff happening, but here's the thing. Once that predator has engaged that child, has an image of them, a videotape of them or anything else, they now have a virtual currency whereby they can threaten that child, say, if you tell your mom and dad or your teacher or anybody else, I'm going to show this. I'm going to put it all over the internet, or I'm going to go after your sister, or I'm going to kill your parents, and this kind of thing. And this is not an uncommon scenario. Bill and I just did a webinar um, with a mom, uh, this friend of, of Bill's named Susan, wonderful Christian home in my county, in, in Fairfax, Virginia. Her, her daughter, beautiful, going to school, everything going for her, started dating a guy, happened to be in a gang. He got her in a sexual situation, then used that to have her start engaging with other people, other boys, got that taped and videoed. And Bill, I'm going to hand this off to you about how they took her from that to turning tricks after school, between school and coming home at night right under her parents' noses. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, I think this is one of the things where um, I, I really encourage all of us, this is something that we can't remain silent on. You know, unfortunately, Susan's daughter, you know, I talked earlier about so many young people not being able to express what was happening to them. Susan's daughter reported to school administration 22 times that she was being sexually assaulted and exploited. And the school administration took no action to intervene or to protect that child. You know, oftentimes we think of, well, you know, the, there's systems in place to protect them. Uh, unfortunately, my message is, is that those systems are failing and it's going to take us to bring about and to call for action and for change in, in these different cases. Fortunately, we were able to, uh, Susan was a very vigilant mother, uh, would not stop, would not take no for an answer when finally her daughter did disappear. Um, and, uh, and so we were able to intervene, we were able to recover her daughter and get her to safety. And, and so she is a, a thriving, <laughs> excuse me, a thriving young lady today uh, with uh, three beautiful children. But so often this isn't the story of, of so many of these young people. 
So many of them will uh, end up uh, addicted to drugs, will end up uh, in jail. They'll end up, unfortunately, sometimes dead. And this is why, uh, you know, I'll echo what Donna was saying in the beginning. And, you know, this movie is sparking the conversation, but it's a conversation that should lead to action. And we have got to be action oriented um, on multiple fronts, raising awareness in our communities, protecting our homes, and then raising our voices to our policymakers, our legislators, to get them to take action, to be able to protect our young people from these threats that are right here in America. And, and I would just say too, um, when, when you think of the role of the church, um, we, we have to recognize that nobody is immune. No one is immune, no child is immune from this. All right. I mean, I just had a mom call me two weeks ago that her preteen daughter and her friend were um, solicited at the Harris Teeter, you know, uh, to go try out for a film where they were supposedly casting. So, so they, when Bill talked about feeding on these vulnerabilities of these kids, our kids' brains are not fully developed until they're in their mid-20s. That's why God gave them parents. And I think if parents can just recognize that their own children, grandparents, your own grandchildren aren't immune because there are people out there that have absolutely no moral compass anymore. They've been given over to this depravity where they can buy and sell and use a human being in the most vile and, and depraved ways for their own sexual gratification or sell them because there's a market for it. The love of money is the root of all evil. And inside the church, we also have to realize there, there are folks that are sexually broken that may be engaged in some of this themselves or may have some of these attractions and may fall prey into, you know, starting with adult pornography, moving into child pornography, starting to interact online with kids. This happened with a high uh, a sex offender I interviewed in a high security prison. That's how he started. He said, I would have never thought about doing this, but I started with online pornography. It was cross-marketed with child pornography. I started developing an appetite for kids and I started interacting with them. And if the 12-year-old if the, the girl wanted to talk to a cute 15-year-old, blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy, I would find a picture of a boy that looked like that and I would be that boy and I would start to get them in a conversation. He said, I could be grooming 20 to 30 kids at a time. And so th 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 this is something that really involves us all. And I think if we recognize just the nature of where we are in our country, we're, I mean, this is sad to say, but I, 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 I really seriously believe it's true, but we're in Romans one, where, where we have so fallen away from God's kingdom rule in our nation as a nation. Um, with, with, the, with, with the issues that we're seeing all across the board. And but we, <laughs> the, great, the great news and the victory is that we win. And God has called us to reign and to occupy and to rule. And I really believe if the body of Christ can all come together and say, this is something we all need to get behind, not just, not just trafficking, but all of it. Because these children, these people, they're precious. Jesus died for them all. And, and the church needs to be that safe place to start having these conversations. And, you know, we want to talk, Jim, about, you know, what, what can a parent do? How do you recognize this in your own family? How do you 
start to have these conversations with kids that are, you know, in grade school, that these kinds of really bad and dangerous people really do exist. There are monsters out there and we start to have, we need to start having these conversations so that as a parent, you're the safe person that they will come to because it's not necessarily a matter of if, it's just a matter of when they're going to get exposed to something out there that could draw them in to either the world of pornography, predation, sexting themselves as a rite of passage as a tween, or even, unfortunately, be drawn into this world of trafficking. Talk to parents right now, or even grandparents who have the privilege of having impact upon their grandchildren. Talk to uh, parents about what how they uh, should appropriately restrict the use of electronics in their home. How do they control that? How do they monitor? It's ubiquitous. It's quite a challenge this day. Mm -hmm. Parenting is much more difficult today than it was uh, when I parented my children. Uh, however, I just want to say to parents, do not hesitate to say no and enforce those borders <laughs> and boundaries. And do not be moved if Susie says, that Mary's mother doesn't have those kind of rules. That mm -hmm. is not the determiner for you. So talk to us, if you would, Donna, uh, talk to parents about how they should set the boundaries and, and make them stick. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Well, first of all, um, at the very beginning, make those decisions as to when you're gonna even introduce technology into that child's life. And, and, and help them understand right at the get-go that that device, that gaming device, that laptop, that phone is not a toy. It is a te technology device that connects to all the good and to all the bad. Now with young people, I don't think that they should be online before a certain age. There's no reason for them to. They can, they can use, they can be offline and still use the technology in healthy ways. But once, you, once they go internet, connected the way that it works it's everything so the parent you have got to manage it to pull it back so you're so right Jim think about this as the border I believe start strict all right so we recommend first of all safety rules and software tools what does that mean this is not for your kids this is for you mom and dad this is for your grandparents all right the rules are the common sense things. Have conversations on a regular basis with your kids about technology. If you're letting them use technology every day, especially if they're connected to the internet, they want to use a new app, you go check out that app before you say yes. You check out that game before you say yes. Get on there and start having those conversations and then decide as a parent, am I willing to parent that new device or that new game or that new app, right? But have conversations and be the safe parent be that safe person that they come to if something happens, if they come across something and talk to them about the dangers right off the get-go. There is content out there, you know, and 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 have those conversations say that that is that is counterfeit to God's design for sexuality, right? And you're likely to see it at some point. Now I am as the parent, I'm gonna do everything I can to prevent that. So what I'm gonna do, and this is what we recommend to Mom says, this is what we're doing. We're turning on filters at the strictest level. This is once you decide to let them online, okay? Always use a filter because that'll block a lot of this content, right? They're very good. Turn on monitoring technology. That's very important too, because that will show you where your kids are trying to go. 
Are they trying to break out of a filter? Are they going someplace you told them that they couldn't? They say, you say you can't get on Instagram. You see them trying to go to Instagram. That's what a monitor will do for you. All right. And then set time limits. There are technology tools, just time management tools. They're all in the parental control suite. Just turn them all on and use them. We're right now working with Congress to get social media companies to get those parental controls turned on as well at the default. But right now, you've got to manage that yourself as a parent. And it's a whole lot of stuff to, to stay on top of. It's really cyber parenting is, is not for the faint of heart. But I'm going to pull this back over to Bill because he's got six kids. And let's just say they each have two or three devices. That's what, 18 devices, Bill? <laughs> it's it's a struggle nowadays you know but there's a lot of rules and i would or a lot of a lot of considerations um i, I as a parent so sort of stepping out of my professional role uh and um uh, just from a, a parent perspective i want to echo what donna was saying i think i'd encourage everyone to go to our website and check out those rules and tools i know i use them uh you know as as just a father uh, and have shared them with my wife and, and shared them with our friends. You know, a lot of things that we can really do. Um, but I think some important things are having the conversation with our children. You know, we, we oftentimes want to protect them uh, from the world around the, them. You know, um, we don't want to really expose them to the evil, but the threat is out there. And they're going to hear things, right? They're going to hear things from their friends. They're going to hear things um in their schools or wherever it is that they are and um and and we need to be arming them with the tools that they need to protect themselves and then common sense stuff regulating those access to those devices i know in my home uh devices are only be allowed to be used in you know like common areas like the living room the kitchen uh you know all of the devices are in uh our bedroom at night so there's no access to them computers get locked you know we trust our children but we still want to take away that temptation uh to to access that content later on that's very important go ahead and say a word about uh about the age I recognize that some 11 year olds are very mature and some 16 year olds are very immature. So I recognize the variance, but give me a, an approximate ballpark. Uh, Bill, I'll go to you first as one who has six children in the home. I believe I heard you have that many in the home right now, correct? Is that right? We do it. We have an 18 year old that's uh, headed off to college here in about a month, but uh, yes. Okay. So talking about some approximate age boundaries for us and then Donna the same question to you well, I think I think one thing is it's really important to you know Donna was talking about the apps earlier right know what apps are, are on devices that children have access to I think that's a big a big issue right um I think we need to regulate and monitor um now you know I've got a seven-year-old um, you know, she does watch uh, some of these videos on, uh, there's a, a particular app called YouTube Kids, which are supposed to be filtered children's apps or, or videos. So we do allow her to watch them, but it's tightly monitored when we're there, we can be watching those with her. Um, I think a lot of it does, to your point, Jim, really depend on maturity levels. And I think that um, it's a gradual introduction to different levels of access to that technology. Um, and in my home, they know that they have to they have to earn those different levels of access. 
They know that we monitor them. We're very clear and transparent about that. Uh, in addition to not only just knowing what they're doing, we've installed things like the BARK, B-A-R-K um, program onto all of their devices, which uh, helps monitor different things. And then we have conversations with our kids about why we're monitoring things. And if we see something that's concerning or uh, you know, something of that nature, then we, we have a conversation. Um, and I think that's the most important thing in today's fast paced world. So I know that's a really long way to answer your question, Jim, about, you know, what's the appropriate age. I really do think it depends on the child. And I also think though, we can't, the burden can't solely be on the child. It's also mm -hmm. on the parent and how much is the parent willing to invest in, in guiding that child and monitoring the child as they access different technology. I realize that our time, uh, we, we have another person that's uh, going to be briefing us from Israel. And so we're going to have to get to that. So unfortunately, we've got to wrap up here. Uh, and I apologize for that because I would like to keep the questioning going. Uh, Donna, what is your website? I do have yeah. a couple questions. Please go to internetsafety101.org. We've got information, uh, quick guides, parent quick guides, warning signs, conversation starters on how to protect your children from any kind of danger online, cyberbullying, trafficking, you name it, pornography, internetsafety101.org. Sign up for our newsletter because we can keep you up to speed on what's happening in Congress. There's a lot going on now, big tech and everything else. And so we'll just you know, keep you up to speed. And we really thank you and and. Thank you for this opportunity. And the main thing is just, um, you know, don't shame your child. They will come to you if they're not afraid that that you're going to overreact and or that they're going to get in trouble. Because sometimes if they are in trouble, they already are feeling that shame and that embarrassment. So I would just say, you know, listen, you know, be that safe person and pray, 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 because the Holy Spirit will give you red flags, even the things that we can't even possibly cover in the physical world, the Lord is there and he wants them safe. So keep them covered. I'm gonna to go to Mario for a question here, but just to repeat, internetsafety101.org. Did I get mm -hmm. that right? Okay, yes. internetsafety101.org. Uh, Mario. Yes, thank you so much for all that you're doing. Uh, my question is regarding social media. Um, if we uh, talked about alternative um, things for COVID, ivermectin, uh, if we questioned election integrity, we would be deplatformed. Mm -hmm. Why are they, the social media not deplatforming pornography and child pornography? That is a wonderful question. And that is, um, I totally agree. They can do this. There's got, there's, it's the will. Right. So who's running these companies and where are the policy decisions being made now in, in the in the case of censorship, we know that they were shutting down speech that they disagreed with. We know that for a fact. Right. In the case of children online, they're still commodities. We now know. In fact, the Surgeon General has come out with a warning saying social social media is harming the mental health and safety of our children. That's our own. Surgeon General. We've known that. And so this is really, um, really, I guess, um, motivated Congress to even say, okay, we, we just got to stop this. These companies are motivated by the billions of dollars that they are making. All right. Because it, it goes back to this love of money. They can do it. They've got the ability 
to, to what we call default filtering. They can turn everything on. What we would like is for age verification on all these platforms. They say you've got to be 13. All they've got to do is put in a technology that won't let anybody under 13 on. They can do that now. They can do that today. They, they can turn all the parental controls on. They can do all of these things. But what we've known in my 30 years of doing this with the, these big tech companies, they have not done anything unless there's been public shaming and embarrassment or the rule of law, the stick of the law. And it's sad, but that's just the way it is. The increase uh, uh, with the border crisis, uh, with the open border right now, can you address the fact that we, our taxpayer uh, uh, money, is going to fund NGOs that are now taking these children on the border and are now becoming uh, bringing them to sex traffickers? Well, I can address one part of that. Then I'm going to go to my my pal Bill, who who was a detective um, that, that fought these crimes. But I was actually put on a national board to oversee where that money went in, in the last three days of Trump's presidency. All right. There's a bunch of conservatives. We were, we were appointed to this board because to determine where all the money would go. That board, to my knowledge, never got stood up and we were all basically let go. So. I don't know that there is any rule of law over this whatsoever, but we do know we have a porous border and that these cartels and criminals and gangs are bringing not just opium, but, but kids and women, and, and it's a mess. And we've got our enemies coming in through the southern border. But Bill, can you address that question? Sure. I think, you know, th there's the southern border question is, is a very complex one, right? Because as Donna mentioned, you do have, uh, gangs that are operating, um, you know, in in bringing people across. The the bigger concern, though, that I think is not often talked about when it comes to the border is once you once they get here in the United States, and then they're dispersed in communities all across the country. Uh, they are um, they have become they become very vulnerable because there's. They're not uh, receiving services. They're not integrating well into the community. And they become very easy prey for traffickers to exploit either in labor trafficking or sex trafficking. So it, it's, again, you know, there's no, um, well, I, I would I would say that it again, it's just a very complex issue that creates vulnerabilities and exploitation in so many different ways. And young people are being sent to the United States uh, by their parents for opportunity and being snatched up by traffickers and exploited in our communities. Uh, Don and Bill, I just got to say a heartfelt thank you for a very sobering report. It's not one we wanted to hear, but it's one we must hear. And you did an excellent job to help us on that. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.